Today's daf is daf Gimel and Masechet Megillah. We are on daf Bet Amud Bet. We are towards the bottom of daf Bet Amud Bet. Three lines on the bottom of the Amud. Uh, Rabbi Yirmiya, some say it was Rabbi Chia Abba, said, These are the letters that there are two versions, that there is a, uh, there is a, uh, uh, a version in the middle of a word, and there's a version at the end of the one that have the sofiot, basically. Mem sofit, nun sofit, tzaddi sofit, pe sofit, kaf sofit. The ones that have two versions, right? Sofim amarum, it's the nevi'im that introduced these letters. So that's strange. The Gemara says, v'tizbara, is it really possible to say that? V'akitiv, we learned in the Torah, ela mitzvot, these are the mitzvot, meaning it says ela mitzvot, that Nobody can add any mitzvot afterwards. That no navi is going to in, create anything that didn't exist before. How is it possible that the shapes of the letters, which obviously have a lot of halachic implications uh, in terms of the kashrut of a sefer Torah, kashrut of mezuzot, tefillin, and so on, how could it be that the Nevi'im invented the idea of having sofiot or having tuchot um, or stumot, in other words, different forms of the letters, how is it possible that Nevi'im created that? Moreover, Rav Chizda said that the mem and the samech in the luchot stood by a miracle. Now what does that mean? It means because since it says that the, the print of the luchot penetrated all the way through because it says, that they were, that the luchot, the um, tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu brought from Har Sinai, they were, the letters penetrated all the way through. So every letter has some leg of the letter or something that even if the space penetrated all the way through, there would be something left. But the, uh, but if the mem and samech are completely round in the middle, the mem sofit and the samech are completely round in the middle, so if a hole went all the way from one side of the luach to the other side, then it would fall apart because that, that piece in the middle would, would fall out. So the, uh, so it can't be that, uh, so obviously the Rav Chizda is saying that they had Mem Sofit in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. So how could you say that, uh, that the, the Nevi'im invented the idea of the Sofiot, that there are letters that appear differently at the end of words? It's not possible, right? In Mahavahavu, obviously the Gemara concludes, it must be that they existed. In other words, there was such a thing as Sofiot in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. And tuchot, in other words, letters that are in the middle, letters at the end. Velo havu The only thing was they didn't know, in other words, the, which, what, which letters should go in the middle of a word or the beginning and which should go at the end. That wasn't fixed. That wasn't uh, established until vatut sofim v'takinu tuchin be'emtza teva u'stumin b'softeva. What the Nevi'im changed was that originally there were two forms of a mem. There's a mem that we call a regular mem, mem regila, and there was a mem that we call mem sofit. We call it that because we only use the closed mem as a sofit. But the, the Nevi'im were the ones that decided that. Apparently up till then, you had the option either of using a mem, regular mem, or using a mem sofit anywhere in the word. It didn't matter whether it was beginning of the word, end of the word. And then Nevi'im came along and said, no, we're only going to use those closed letters at the end of a word. Okay, so that was the, that was the, the new thing. But still, sof sof elam mitzvot, it still says elam mitzvot. These are the mitzvot, meaning everything in the Torah has to be sealed. No Navi is going to make anything new. And even the idea of, ta- uh, of deciding that certain letters come only at the end of a word is something new. How could the Nevi'im decide that? So the Gemara answers, 
What happened was that originally they had a fixed uh, uh, rule. <coughs> in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, it was fixed that the open letters are the ones in the middle and the beginning, and the closed ones are at the end. And, uh, and th- th- that, was, that was forgotten, meaning that the people <coughs> neglected that, they forgot it. So the later Nevi'im came along and re-established it. So it wasn't that they invented something new. They re-established what was already there. Another example we're going to see of uh, something similar to this. Rabbi Yirmiya said, and some say it was Rabbi Chiyah Barabba, Targum shel Torah unkulus agir amaro. Mipi Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Yoshua. That the Targum, the translation, the Aramaic translation of the Torah was composed by unkulus agir, uh, who said it in the name of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua, his teachers. And the, the translation of the Navi into Aramaic was done by Yonatan ben Uziel, who learned it from Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the last three Nevi'im. And at the moment that he, uh, that he published his translation, the Eretz uh, Yisrael shook 400 parasa by 400 parasa. Yet stabat kol v'amra. And a voice came from heaven and said, Who is this who is revealing my secrets to human beings? So Yonatan ben Uziel stood on his legs, on his feet. I'm the one who revealed it. And you know that I didn't do it. I didn't do it for my own honor. I didn't do it for my father's honor. I did it for my. For, I did it for your honor, Hashem. So there wouldn't be a lot of machloket. In other words, the only reason why I wanted to translate the navi was. So people wouldn't argue about what the meaning was. He also wanted to publish a translation of the Ketuvim, of the rest of the Tanakh. But a, a, a heavenly voice came and said, Stop. The reason is because the secrets of the future of the Mashiach are hidden in the Ketuvim, and Hashem didn't want that translated. <coughs> but now the Gemara asks, <clears throat> now we have a chronology problem, just like we had a problem with the letters, the middle letters and the end letters. We have a problem with the Targum. That you're saying Unculus was the one who composed it. Didn't Rav Ika Baravin say in the name of Rav Chananel in the name of Rav? My dichti vayku b'sefer Torah Elohim mefoash besom sechel vayavir b'mekad. This is a uh, this is a pasuk in Sefer Ezra Nechemia. Really, it's in the Nechemia part <clears throat> in Perakhet. Where they gathered all the people around the month of Tishrei to teach them the Torah. They were reading to them in the Sefer Torah to educate them with the upcoming holidays. And it says they read in the Sefer Torah of Hashem, Miforash, explicitly. V'som <clears throat> Sechel, they applied intelligence. Vayavinu Bamikran, they understood or they explained the text. So it says, what, is the, what do these things mean? They read this, the book of the, of the Torah of Hashem. That's talking about the text. When it says Miforash, it was explained, that means that they also gave them the Targum. Because remember, <clears throat> the Jews that made Aliyah in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah didn't speak Hebrew so well because <clears throat> they had grown up for the past 70 years, the past couple of generations in Bavil. So they knew Aramaic. They didn't know Hebrew so well. So they translated it into Aramaic already. <clears throat> and Vesom Sechel Elo means that they knew, they applied intelligence, means they knew where the breakup of the psukim, 
ויבינו במקרא אלו פסקי טעמים. They understood the text means the פסקי טעמים, that means the טעמי המקרא, the cantillation notes. <coughs> they, they read it according to the cantillation notes. <coughs> And <coughs> it says, ואמרילה, some say, אלו המסורת, this is talking about the מסורת, meaning that they read it in accordance with, there are certain words. that are written one way, but are pronounced another way, and they followed the way it was supposed to be read. So you see from here that they had a Targum, because they already translated the text for the people who came from Bavel. If they translated the text, that means they had it already. So how can you say Unculus was the one who made the translation? So Shachov v'chazov used to him, same answer. <clears throat> it existed in the time of Ezra. It was neglected, and Unculus was the one who reinstated it. So Maishna de'oaita de'la What's the reason why the earth shook only when Yonatan ben Uziel revealed the Navi translation, but it didn't shake when Unculus revealed the translation of the Torah? The reason is because the Torah is straightforward for the most part. When it comes to the Navi, there are certain things that are secret. Certain things are explicit, certain things secret. For example, it's going to give us an example of a Pasuk that is very, very mysterious from the book of Zechariah that a person wouldn't normally be able to understand what it's talking about. It says, On that day, the, uh, the Misped, the eulogy will be increased in Yerushalayim. It will be like, Like the eulogy of Uh, of uh, Hadadrimon in the valley of Megidon. But nobody knows who this Hadadrimon in the valley of Megidon is. Who is this? Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said, If we didn't have Yonatan ben Uziel translation of this Pasuk, we wouldn't know what this is. <clears throat> Because there's no such person and there's no such eulogy recorded anywhere. Rather, what does it mean? And it's talking about the Armageddon times. Talking about the uh, Gogu Magog wars and everything. How there's going to be great crying out. What is the reference of the, uh, the uh, eulogy of, uh, or the wailing of Hadad Yirmon Bebikat Megidon? What does it mean? Bayomahu Yisgei Misbeda Birushalem. It means, on that day, the, uh, the uh, eulogizing or the crying will be in Yerushalayim as much. Kemispat De'achav Bar Omri De'katal Yateh Hadad Yirmon Ben Devarimon Beramot Gilad. It will be like the uh, crying out over the death of Achav, the son of Omri, who was killed by Hadad Rimon ben Tavrimon in Ramot Gilad. In other words, what Yonatan ben Uziel unpacks from the Pasuk is that it's actually combining two different things. wasn't one event, it's a hint to two events. It's a hint to the death of Achav, who was killed by Hadadrimon, and it is also a hint to the death of Yoshiau, who was killed by Paro in Bikat Megiddo. So that's what Megiddon is there, Bikat Megiddo. In other words, it's a reference to two past events. A very interesting thing that Achav, who was an evil king, more or less, and comparing him to Yoshiau, Um, both were beloved kings for totally different reasons. Yoshia was beloved because he was a religious reformer who returned the Jews to the Torah. Achav, even though he was bad, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking, he was very bad, but he was very loved by the people because he was, the Gemara always speaks about him and says he was Ohev Yisrael Haya. Achav really loved the Jewish people. He was a true Zionist. In other words, he was, a, he was like a true uh, uh, secular Zionist. He, didn't, he wasn't into the religious part of, the, uh, of Judaism, but he really loved the Jewish people. and wanted to defend and cared for his people and, and was willing to sacrifice for his people. So in that way, people really loved him and they cried over his death. So the point is that 
Yonatan ben Uziel tells us how to interpret this cryptic um, statement as a reference to two, an allusion to two different events. Another pasuk is brought. And the, the reason why all these psukim are being brought is because the explanation of these psukim all came from Rabbi Yirmiya v'itema Rabbi Chia Baraba. That's why. So it says, I Daniel saw levadi at Amareh v'anashim asher ayuimi lo ro et Amareh. Aval charada dola nafla alehim. And it's Daniel is saying he saw a vision, and the people who are with him. So it says he says I saw the Mara, I saw this vision, but the people with me didn't see the Mara. They didn't see it. Aval charada dola nafla alehim. They ran away and they hid. So he was together with some other Nevi'im actually. Uh, who were the people with him? Right, so they were with him. He saw this vision, this Mara's vision. They didn't see it. Okay? He was greater, they were greater than him, he was greater than them. Because they were Nevi'im. They were actually prophets. He wasn't, right? But because he was able, he was greater than them though because he saw this vision and they didn't. Why is it that they were scared if they didn't see any? Even though they didn't see it, their mazal saw it. Somehow their guardian angel or something saw it. Somebody was afraid. Even though he doesn't see what's going on. He has like an intuition that there's something wrong. It's like his guardian angel giving him a signal. What should he do? He should read Kriyat Shema. If he's in a dirty place, he can't read the Shema. He should jump for a mot out of his place. If he can't say the Shema and he can't run out of the space, he should say, the goat that is in the slaughterhouse is fatter than me. Meaning pick on somebody else. Don't pick on me. Right, so a person who has that intuition, that inkling that something's wrong, it's telling you that a lot of times there's something to that, and a person should listen to that voice, and it's indicating that there could be really something wrong. We said that in the Megillah, when it says it's telling us about certain halachot that relate to the application of the halachot of uh, uh, of Megillah that we saw on the previous parak that speaks about. Um, the uh, the parameters of where the Megillah is read and on what days. But what about the pasuk that says mishpacha u mishpacha? Medina u Medina talks about different kinds of cities and so on and places. But what about mishpacha u mishpacha? Every family is the same. Right, so lemayata. Amar Rabbi Yosi Bar Chanina, Lavi Mishpachot Kuna Ulvia, Shemivatlin Avodatan Obayin Shmuel Megam Megillah. The answer is that the Kohanim and the Vim have to leave aside the Avodah of the of the Bet Hamikdash in order to hear the Megillah. Because Rav Rav Kohanim leave their service, Levi'im leave their Duchan, where they sing. The Jewish people leave their Ma'amad that we learned about in Masachet Tanit, which was the gathering of the Jewish, the normal Jews, the Israelim, to uh, pray for and to observe the Korbanot that were being offered on behalf of the Jewish people, the Ma'amad, they all leave their work to go listen to Mikra Megillah. Because of this, the house of Rabbi, they would cancel the shiurim, they would cancel the learning to come to the Megillah. If the Avodah, the Beit HaMikdash, is put aside, pushed aside for the Mikra Megillah, so certainly the learning of Torah can be canceled <coughs> for Mikra Megillah. The question is, Tosafot asks, what do you mean that the Kohanim have to give up the Avodah in order to come hear the Megillah? What's the problem? Go re- read the Megillah and then go do the Avodah. You're not really canceling the Avodah. 
You may, it was, you know, you could, first of all, you could do the Avodah in the morning and then go make a smaller uh, minyan or something like that. So he says that even though they're going to eventually go back and do the Avodah, since they first would read the Megillah before they did the Avodah of the day in the Beit HaMikdash, that was like a pushing off of the Avodah. Another, and then he asks, why can't they just do the Avodah first? And then afterwards, read the Megillah. He says, it's better to do it with the community as a whole, not to do it in a smaller group. That's the Tosafot answer. There are some Rishonim that take this literally, though. They say, no, when it says, Mivatlin Avodah, it doesn't just mean that they push off the Avodah. It literally means that if there was a conflict between the Avodah and the hearing of the Megillah, the Megillah would come first. Very interesting uh, discussion there. Now, but the point, the question is going to be like this. It says that Rabbi, because the, you see that the Avodah is either pushed off or canceled for the sake of Mikra Megillah, so certainly learning Torah can be pushed off for Mikra Megillah. But the question is, Avodah, is it really true that Avodah, the Beit HaMikdash, is more strict than the learning of Torah? That's generally not true. Because we say that what? In the story, in the beginning of Sefer Yoshua, when Yoshua was in Yerichova, he lifted his eyes and he saw he saw this angel meeting him and he had a sword in his hand and so on. And he bowed down to him. Now the Gemara is going to take a, go to a, uh, take this in a different direction first, explaining how he could have bowed down to this uh, angel with the sword in his hand, um, uh, which actually uh, it happens in the next Pasuk. But the uh, he but it turns out that this person who's holding a sword at first Yoshua asks him, "Are you with us or with our enemies?" He thinks he's a real uh, soldier. Then he realizes it's an angel and he bows to him. Right. So the Gemara says, "Wait a second. How could he bow down to him?" How could he how could he even greet this person? Let alone bow down to them. Aren't we always worried that if we encounter a strange personality at night, it could be a shed, it could be a demon? So it says, No, since the being said, I am a general in the army of Hashem, so he realized he's not a shed, he's not a, uh, he's not a, uh, a demon. Maybe he's lying. We say that the shed will not claim to be an angel. He will not say Hashem's name in vain, so you don't have to worry if the, uh, if the being says, I am a, uh, an angel of Hashem, and he uses the word Hashem, so then you can trust him. Now, Amarlo, what did the Navi say? What did the Malach say to Yoshua? Emesh bitaltam damichel ben arbaim. Vachshav bitaltam tamu Torah. He said to Yoshua, two averot. Yesterday you didn't bring the afternoon korban because since everybody was in uh, formation for battle, so the Aron wasn't in the right place. They didn't bring the korban of the afternoon. And now because you are keeping everybody in formation, they're not learning Torah. So Amarlo al ezem en bata. So Yoshua said to him, why are you coming to criticize me? For which one? And Amalo Atabati, the one that you're doing right now, meaning the one that's being, that's happening now, the neglect of Talmud Torah, that's why I came to criticize you. Not for the Korban that was already done. And therefore, Miyad Vayalen Yoshua Balayla Ubetocha Emek. And therefore, the Pasuk says that Yoshua that night went Betocha Emek, meaning he went into the depth of the valley. Now, this Pasuk actually happens in the next battle, in the battle of Ai, not in this battle. But the point is, Amar Biochanan Melamed Shelan Bomkashel Alacha that takes you to Amud Bet. But the point is that he, 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 he slept in the depth of Alacha, meaning he delved into Alacha. He wanted to fix the Chet by delving into Torah. Now, Tosfotir says, that where do you get the idea that Yoshua was asking what he was in trouble for? And so Tosafot says, because the Pasuk is Halano Ata Imnitzarenu. Are you with us or our enemies? He says, Halano would mean Torah Tzivalano Moshe, a reference to the, uh, uh, the Torah. 
or im litzarenu, are you here because of our enemies? Not on the side of our enemies, but meaning the korbanot that protect us from our enemies, the korbanot that give us kapara, protect us from our enemies, are you here for that? And he said, atabati, now I've come. So we interpret it according to the pshat, meaning the sin that's going on right now, the neglect of Talmud Torah. But Tosfot says no, because it says, v'ata kitvu lachem et v'ata, the word v'ata is associated with Torah, because Moshe Rabbeinu tells the people, now write for yourselves, uh, this song, or Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, who tells the people, Kidvulachem Tashirazot, write for yourselves this song, and the word Ataz used. But the point is, that what do you see? That even though there were two sins that were committed, which one did the Malach come to hold Yoshua accountable for? The neglect of Torah, not the neglect of the Korban. So you see that the Torah is not, is more important than the Korban. So, so, Vamar of Shmuel Baronyal, Gadol Tamut Torah Yoter Meakravat Midin. And we learned, Rav Shmuel Bar Onyel learned from this, that learning of Torah is greater than the offering of sacrifices. Because the angel came to complain about the lack of Torah learning, not the lack of the Korban. So how could you say that just because you knock, even though it's true that you knock over or knock off or delay the, uh, uh, the, the Korbanot for the sake of Megillah, that doesn't mean necessarily that you should push off learning of Torah. Because learning of Torah is even greater than the Avodah of the Beit HaMikdash. It says, It depends. That one is talking about the community, one is talking about the individual. In other words, if you're talking about the individual's learning versus the Avodah of the Beit HaMikdash, the Avodah of the Beit HaMikdash would come first. Because Avodah of the Beit HaMikdash is a communal thing. But if you're comparing the communal Avodah to the communal learning, there the communal learning would take precedence. And here we're not talking about communal learning. We're talking about an individual canceling Shirim for a small group or whatever for a group of people for the sake of the Megillah. It's not the entire Jewish people. So then the Gemara says, wait a second, ha, but still, are you considering the Torah of an individual is not important? It says that women during Cholam can, Ma'anot is a way of mourning when they would have funerals, during Cholam it says that they would, Ma'anot is a type of a dirge where they would have a, everyone crying out together. And not banging and clapping and things like that. If they were next to the uh, to the actual coffin, then they could uh, also clap on their uh, uh, on their hands or on their face or on their leg, whatever it might be. There's another kind of crime which is called mekonenot, which is where it's a uh, it's a responsive reading. Okay, so now it, so the, the uh, it says. It says on, on Rosh Chodesh and Chanukah and Purim, they can do these things. It's not Cholamoid, right? So they're allowed to have the, uh, dirges where they read, to, they cry together. They can do the, the clapping also. Avalo mekoninot, but they can't do mekoninot. They can't do responsive. Responsive is too much, according to this. Okay? But, now these restrictions on the kind of lamenting, we don't really have this kind of lamenting like a, an organized dirges with the women crying and responsive crying and things like that, like they had back then. They would even have professionals who would come, be professional criers, and they would help the, uh, the lamenting uh, be intensified. We don't really have that nowadays. But, it's, but the point is on Cholam the rules are stricter in terms of what kind of crying you're allowed to do. On Chanukah and a little more lenient. But... <coughs> Where? Well, that the, we don't pay them and bring them. In the old days, they actually would bring, uh, it says in the Navi, in Yirmiyahu, uh, call the Mekoninot. They had people that were professionals that you would actually bring. 
in order to uh, increase the wailing. And I heard that in, I, I was once talking to somebody, he told me in Morocco, uh, this Moroccan Jew told me in Morocco, they actually ha- still had that, that they would have ladies that they would hire, that they paid them and they would come. And they would increase the lamenting. But anyway, it says, uh, it says, uh, so, th- but when, it, when it's a Tamil Chacham, if it's the funeral of a Tamil Chacham, all of these rules are not applied because of the kavod of the Tamil Chacham. They're allowed to do any kind of wailing that they want, even on Cholamoyed, and definitely Chanukah and Purim. So it says, kavod Torah Kamrat. You're talking about the, uh, so you were telling me that Torah of an individual is not as, uh, is not as important as Avodah. You're saying it's not that important, but it's not true that it's not important. Because you see that even Cholamoyed is pushed off for the crying out. And so therefore, maybe the Torah of an individual, it says that you see that the Torah of the individual, Tamil Chacham, is more important than Chanukah and Purim. Because on Chanukah and Purim, you're allowed to have all kinds of lamenting and wailing for the Tamil Chacham. So you see that even the Torah of the individual overrides the uh, Megillah, overrides Purim. So it says that's different because Kvod Torah Kamrat, you're talking about the honor of Torah. That's a different story. Kvod Torah Diechid Chamor. When it's, when you're talking about the honor of the Torah, that's strict. Talmud Torah, But when it comes to the learning of the Torah of the individual, it's light. In other words, what it means to say is that when you're, a, an individual's learning, that they're sitting and learning, they should take a break and go read the Megillah. The honor of the Torah of the person can be even more important than Purim and can push off, uh, uh, let's say, some of the festivity of Purim. Why? Because when you're honoring the Torah of uh, Tamil Chacham, you're not honoring the person. You're really honoring the Torah itself. You're not honoring the individual. It's what they represent. That's a totally different story than the actual action of learning of the individual, that he has to stop to go do a mitzvah. That's different than honoring the Tamil Chacham because you're not honoring the Tamil Chacham because of his uh, individual personality or his individual quality. You're honoring the Torah that he represents. Now, If we have a conflict between the Avodah of the Bet HaMikdash and the reading of the Megillah, Mikra Megillah Adif, we know that the Mikra Megillah comes first. We said before, from the Pasuk of Mishpacha Mishpacha, that the Kohanim and the Vim have to leave their Avodah in order to hear the Megillah, so it comes first. We saw before that, that we see that if there's a conflict between sitting and learning Torah versus hearing the Megillah, Megillah comes first because we saw that Rabbi canceled the Shiurim for the sake of the Megillah. Talmud Torah mit mitzvah. Let's say a person wants to learn Torah or there's a mit mitzvah. There's an opportunity to bury someone who needs a burial. Mit mitzvah dif. And we're going to see that mit mitzvah overrides everything, basically. A mit mitzvah is a body that requires burial, um, that there's nobody to do it. Miditani, because we learned in a bright mevadlin Talmud Torah lo mit. First of all, you're allowed to neglect you're allowed to leave aside learning of the Torah in order to conduct a funeral, and also to uh, celebrate a, uh, with a bride and groom, right? So you see that, uh, that, that anything that's in so far as the uh, burial is concerned is going to override the learning of Torah of the individual. That's for sure. Now, there is a whole discussion about what if there's plenty of people to take care of the wedding. You don't have to go to the wedding. There's 500 people going, 1,000 people going, you have to go. Or if at the funeral, there's more than enough people, nobody's going to know if you went or not. What does it apply then? The Tosafot talks about that. But a mit mitzvah is when there's nobody to take care of it. So for sure, it's going to override the uh, learning of Torah. Now we say, what about avodah mit mitzvah? If the Kohen needs to do the Avodah, but he has a mit mitzvah, he's going to become Tamei. Mit mitzvah dif. We still tell him to become Tamei rather than do the Avodah because taking care of a body that has no one to bury it is the biggest mitzvah. Midi la, 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 vila achoto. From the Pasuk of Vila Achoto. Now this 
is a pasuk about the Nazir. The Nazir has all, at first it says that the Nazir is not allowed to become Tamei for anybody. And then it says, Aviv ulimo leachiv ulachoto. His father, his mother, his brother, and his sister. In other words, it lists all of them. Why does it have to list all of them? It already told him us that he's not allowed to become Tamei for anyone. So why does it have to list all the relatives? So the answer is, each one of them, the drasha in, uh, if you if you look in the Sifri, which analyzes all, is really a midrash halacha on b'midbar. It tells you what each one of these words comes to teach you something else. The last one was la'achoto, matal mudomar. Because the first one, when it says le'aviv, that comes to include, he's not allowed to become tamay for his father. But if there's a mit mitzvah that he discovers that has no one to bury it, he's allowed to become tamay. Why does it say le'imo? That even if he was not only a nazir, but also a kohen, he still has to do it. Why does it say le'achiv? His brother, to tell you that even if he was a Nazir and the Kohen Gadol, he still has to take care of a met mitzvah if he finds it. So then what do you need Ul Achoto for? So it tells you, If he was going to, to do the Koban Pesach or to do a Brit Milah for his son, the two positive mitzvot that uh, basically... Um, are karet carrying. There's such serious positive mitzvot that if a person neglects to do it, he's going to get karet. It's very serious, right? Vishamashemit lomet. And he heard that that somebody died in his family. Yachol yitama. Maybe he'll tell me that he should become tamid. Um, so therefore we say, Amad lo yitama. Right? So he should, or lo yitama. He should not become tamid. Right? So in other words, since he's on his way to do something, um, and it says, Shemit Lomet Ach O Achot. He finds out that he's, uh, that he, that somebody died. So, Rashi says, Keshem She'en Nazir Mivatel Nazirudo Letamele Kovav, Kacholo Yvatel Mipischo. In other words, this is still talking about the Nazir. Right, it's talking about a Nazir or Kohen Gadol who doesn't become Tamei even for his immediate relatives, right? So that guy, even though he, he's, so he's going and he hears that his uh, family member died, he's going on his way to do his, uh, his Korban Pesach, right? Just like, a, just like the Nazir is, mevatel, is not Mevatel Neziruto, Litamele Kovav, so to this person should not become should not uh, neglect his uh, his korban pesach um, uh, as a result of uh, you know in in order to go and become tamei for his relative because he's on his way to do it. So it says, Maybe you'll say, just like he shouldn't become Tamei for his sister, he shouldn't become Tamei for a mit mitzvah. That's why the Pasu comes and tells you, In other words, in that case, he doesn't have to become Tamei. The point is that the person himself hasn't done his Korban Pesach yet. Okay, somebody dies in his family. If he if he goes and he becomes tamei, he's not going to be able to do the korban pesach now, right? So he should be just. It's saying he should be just like the nazir, just like the nazir who doesn't go and become tamei when his sister dies. This person shouldn't become tamei. He has to first take care of his korban pesach. Now it's a, it's a little bit of a problem because if the person died that day, then he's uh, he has the issue of being an onen and all of that. So uh, uh, leaving aside that problem, but the point is he doesn't become tamei in that case. Um, but if it's a mit mitzvah that has nobody else to take care of them, and there's nobody else to attend to them, so then he has to become tamay no matter what. That's the point. Now, the Gemara says, Ba'i Rava, the Rava asks the following question. Mikram megilau mit mitzvah haiminai wadif. Now it seems like a mit mitzvah uh, overrides everything. 
So what is what about a mit mitzvah versus mikra megillah? Because so far mikra megillah beat everything and mit mitzvah beat everything. So which one of they're against each other? So it says Haimin Iwadif. Mikra Megillah Div Mishum Pirsume Nisa. Do we say that the reading of the Megillah is more important because it's publicizing the miracle? Or Dilma Mit Mitzvah Div Mishum Kvodabriot. Or do we say that since a mit mitzvah is involved, it's more important because of respect for human dignity? So, after he asked the question, he answered it. That the master said that is the most important thing. It overrides even a negative commandment of the Torah. And we see that because we know that a person generally has to return a lost object if he finds it. But it says if a person is a zaken, he's an elderly, and it will be, uh, 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 it will be undignified for him. So uh, he doesn't have to go and uh, chase after, he doesn't have to go pick up an object. If he sees somebody's lost object, he doesn't have to go get involved in the situation of taking responsibility for it. Normally we're supposed to take responsibility if we see. Um, but if he's an elder, that it will be a disgrace for him to have to go chase after the person. He doesn't have to get involved because it would be a lack of kavod for him. So we learn that, a, that kavod of a person overrides everything. And it overrides even mikra megillah. So even though mikra megillah has pirsumanes, mit mitzvah trumps everything. And mit mitzvah will come even before um, even before mikra megillah. Gufa. We go back to what we said before. That a city and everything near it and everything that can be seen with it, okay, is included in the same category as the city. So it says, Tana, Samuch Samuch. These are two independent things. We say, if it's close, even if it can't be seen, if it can be seen, even if it's not close. We understand how something can be visible but not Close, meaning if it's on a hill, if it's a very high hill, so if you're looking, you'll see the city and you'll see this place in the same uh, visual uh, image, but one is actually more distant than the other. It's far away. However, near um, so that's it could be seen, but it's not actually close, right? But how can you have something that's close but not visible? The answer is, If it's sitting in a lower place, in other words, if it's in a, uh, a lower elevation, so when it's in a higher elevation, technically if you drew a line, you would find that the distance is very far, but they're seen together. So they're considered an extension. It's considered the outskirts of that city. Similarly, it could be very close, but when you look at the city, you don't see this village. Because why? Because it's in a valley that's lower, so you won't see it, but physically it's very close. It'll also be considered an outskirt of that city. Now, if you have a city that was, this is talking about a walled city, okay, that was settled and then walled later, it's considered like a village, meaning it's not considered like a walled city. Because it says if a person sells a house in a walled city, which means it was a house in an Irchoma, meaning to say that it was already enclosed by the wall before he settled in the house. And not that it was settled and then afterwards walled around. And this meaning to say, what that means to say is that the wall wasn't an afterthought. The wall was part of the original plan of the city. Then it's called a walled city. A walled city doesn't just mean a city that happens to have a wall around it. It means a city that from the beginning was planned to have a wall around it. It was part of the essential definition of the city. And therefore, if, it's, uh, if it was put afterwards, it wouldn't count. 
Okay? Now this halacha is halacha according to Rashi that applies really to the laws of Batei Arei Choma that we learned in Masechet Arachin, which talks about a person who sells a house in a walled city that after one year, if he doesn't buy it back, it permanently remains the uh, possession of the buyer and he, never get, he can never get it back. That's called the idea of Batei Arei Choma. But Tosfot says this also applies to the dinim of Megillah, that if a city was walled after it was already settled, it wouldn't be considered a walled city from the times of Yoshua bin Nun. And Vamar Yoshua ben Levi. A city that doesn't have ten batlanim is considered like a village. We already learned this. Why are you telling me this? Because we already learned. What's a large city? Any city that has ten people who are batlanim. Which means that they are available. I'll explain what it means in a second. Any less is a village. We had to talk about a big city. Why? Because In other words, you might say a regular city, if it has less than 10 people, what it means, batlanim, is people, Rashi says, who sit around to pray shachrit and arvit. They don't work. They're available in the synagogue um, all the time so to make a minyan. But a, a simpler, you know, even without the uh, component of the minyan, the idea is that there are at least 10 people whose job it is, whose role it is, to keep the city functioning. In other words, there is an infrastructure. That's what differentiates a village from a city, right? So if the city has 10 batlanim, it's considered to be a city and not a village. Now the thing is, what about a very large city where there are people coming in and out all the time? So even if you don't have 10 batlanim, you have constant activity. Maybe that's a substitute for structure. So the Gemara says, no. Even so, if there are not 10 official batlanim, whose job it is to maintain the services of the community, then it's not considered a city, it's considered a village. A city that was destroyed and rebuilt and then, and then settled is considered like a city. What does it mean, destroyed? It can't be that you're talking about that the walls were destroyed because then it wouldn't matter whether it was settled or not. We already learned. And the lo has an aleph, which lo means no with an aleph, and it means has with a vav. But it has both letters, vav and aleph. Why? As long as it had a wall at any point in its history, even if there's no wall right now, it's called a walled city if it was walled in the times of Yoshua bin Nun. It doesn't matter if it's walled right now. It doesn't matter if people settled before, after, it doesn't matter if it has walls actually right now. That's what, what it means is, <clears throat> it lost its Asra Batlanim. It lost its, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be that even if it lost its walls, they don't have to rebuild the walls in order to reestablish it as a walled city because it's considered a walled city based on its history. But if they lost their ten batlanim, then it won't be considered a city again unless they reestablish those ten batlanim that are in charge of running the affairs of the city. Now there is a big machlok at Rishonim and Tosfot here talks about it, whether this applies also to the walled cities, this idea of the ten batlanim, or only to other cities. Because we know that there are three categories. There's something called the kfar, a village, a city and a walled city. The walled cities read on the 15th. The villages read on the Yom HaKnisa, like we learned in the first Mishnah. And the city dwellers read on the 14th. Now, the, we know that to distinguish between city dwellers 
and um, <clears throat> and villagers is not that important nowadays because villagers also read nowadays on the 14th of Adar, not on the Yom Knisa. They don't move their reading up like they did in the times of the Gemara or like they did in the times of the uh, original Takanav of Purim. So we don't have to worry about what is a Kfar and what is an ear. Whether it has 10 Batlanim is what distinguishes the one from the other, right? But now we don't have to worry about that so much. What we do have to know is a city that is walled from the times of Yoshua Benun, does it need to have 10 Batlanim to qualify? Or is that a totally independent category? Whether it has a wall, if it has a wall from the times of Yoshua Benun, even if there are five people living there, they would read on the 15th of Adar or no. It has to have the qualifications of a city, meaning 10 Batlanim, 10 people who are in charge of the city, plus it's walled from the times of Yoshua Benun. If it requires both. So Tosfot holds that these are two separate things. That once something is categorized as a place that had a wall in the times of Yoshua Benun, it doesn't matter right now how many people live in it or how many people are responsible or how many people you have that are in charge of running the community. It doesn't matter. However, according to other Rishonim, it does matter and you need both qualifications. You need it to be a full-fledged city plus that it is walled from the times of Yoshua Benun. There's also a big machlok at Rishonim. If this idea of cities walled from the times of Yoshua Benun <coughs> applies to Chutz Aratz as well or only to Eretz Yisrael. So Bezad Hashem will learn more about this continuing tomorrow.